God is not making bad people good. God is making dead people alive. Let me say it one more time. God is not making bad people good. He is making dead people alive. That is the theme of this passage today that we're going to look at. God is not making bad people good. He's making what? Dead people alive. He is making dead people alive. Now let me ask you in your life, do you ever feel stuck? Do you ever feel, I know the answer, it's a rhetorical question, right? Do you ever feel like you just can't do what you know you need to do? You just, and, and, and maybe, maybe you're stuck in, 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 in the, the, the goals and the dreams that you have for your life. We all face these times, don't we? But sometimes it becomes not only about our personal aspirations, but about who we are. You know, in those old hang-ups and those old patterns of sin, of disobedience to God and His will, you know, maybe it's in our relationships, and we feel like we're just stuck, and we keep going back to the same well of poison time and time again, and drawing up the bucket and drinking from it. The poison of, 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 of how we treat one another. Or maybe it's the poison of substances like alcohol or drugs or some other kind of substance that we keep going back to when we're exhausted and when we're tired and when we just can't do it on our own. We go back to that same well of food or whatever it is that we, that we go to for comfort and for, for, for a sense of healing. And we get stuck there. Why? Because those things are destructive. Because those things are destructive in relationships or in substances or in our finances or in our families or in our relationship with people like our mothers. We can feel stuck. Let me tell you about a man I met on Thursday named Levi. Um, Two years ago, Levi was living in Ohio. He grew up in the church. And uh, Levi became sad. He started to become sad. And he coped with his sadness by taking drugs. And he coped with his sadness by becoming dependent on those drugs. And it began to tear apart his life. It began to tear apart his marriage, as you can imagine. His wife began to distrust him. Nothing he said was true. He told me, he said, I would steal money out of her purse to go and get a fix. I would steal whatever money she had in her purse to go and get a fix. Not a healthy relationship. Not a healthy relationship with his wife, certainly, or with money, or with the creation, the created things, or with God. And so Levi's life began to spiral out of control to the point where he was at his end. He felt stuck, completely stuck. And Levi told me that he heard about this program in Columbia, South Carolina, called the Reconciliation Ministries. And he made a choice to move down here and to enter into this 15-month program where you move into an apartment and basically you give up so much freedom of your life. You give up being able to uh, make money for a while because everything is all included when you're there. 
the, the, the housing, the food, the program, all inclusive, and it's, and, it's a, and it's a free program, okay? So he got into this program called Reconciliation Ministries, and he went through the first couple of steps of admitting his problem and, and, and of submitting to the rules of this ministry. And he only made it three weeks, and he failed out. He, he, said, he said, I just decided it was too much. And he got all of his things and started walking up the street and left. They didn't accept him back immediately. What he had to do was start the whole program over. Everything he had done for those three weeks, he had to humble himself and go back and start all the way at the beginning of the 15 months. So now this 15-month process was going to be 16 months. It's intense, right? Imagine 15 months of your life. That's a long time. 16 months of your life is a long time. But Levi was completely independent of God. And what he needed to learn through this program was to depend on God. What he needed to learn was what he said to me was, I had to put my life completely in God's hands. I had to put my life completely in God's hand. And for him, that took an incredibly radical step, right? For most of us, Lord willing, it ain't going to take something that radical. But for him, it did. For Levi, it didn't. He, and he's through the program now. I said oh, that was two years ago. He is through the program now. And through this process of trusting God and of submitting to God's will and of seeking to obey God and seeking to entrust God with everything in his life, he has experienced incredible healing. Incredible healing in his life. And, and there's probably a reason that this is the guy I met when I was going to check out their ministry. <laughs> right? They're like, talk to this guy. You know? But what God has done in his life is incredible. His wife, through prayer, decided to move to Columbia. And now she lives with him in one of the apartments on the street where they have this ministry. That is nothing but a miracle. That is nothing but the grace of God to restore a marriage that was a complete and utter disaster. But he, his testimony to me was, I didn't do it. God did it. He was stuck. And God gave him a new life. You can't fix your life. And neither can I. You can't fix your life. Religion and a lot of Christianity will tell you that you need to make a good effort to be better. We believe the lie that God makes bad people good. We believe the lie that Christianity is about getting morally right, doing better, doing the right thing, turning over a new leaf. That is not what Christianity is about. That is religion. It's not Christianity. Christianity is a religion, okay? But religion is where we make an effort to do better, to please God, and Christianity is the opposite. Christianity is that God did better so that your life could be changed. He did the work. He did all of the work to make it so that your life could be fixed, that you could be made right. 
Christianity says you can't fix your life. You can't. And if you haven't come to the point in your life where you've realized that, you're probably not a Christian. You're probably just a moral person who believes in doing better and pulling yourself up by the bootstrap. If you haven't reached the point where you know that God says you can't fix your life, then you really don't understand Christianity. Christianity says you're incapable of that. One year ago today, May 8th, one year ago today, Anna's sister, Christina, who we've all been praying for, had open-heart surgery today. One year ago today. About, what, three weeks before that, she had a massive heart attack out of nowhere. A massive heart attack that left the left side of her heart badly, badly damaged. And in the ICU, as the doctors are examining her, they proclaim to this dear family that Christina's heart is beyond repair. That we cannot go in and fix her heart. My dad had open heart surgery where they went in and repaired his heart. Okay? And a lot of it is that way. But with Christina, it was beyond repair. And so what is the solution when your heart is beyond repair? You need a new heart. Right? You need a new heart. And because of the miracle of modern medicine... God was able to take a heart from someone who died, probably tragically, and place it into the cavity of Christina's um, body and snap their fingers or do whatever they do, and it starts beating. And Christina is alive today because she was given a new heart. That is amazing. But Christina was at the point where she knew and her family knew that her heart didn't just need some repairing to do. It didn't just need repairing. It needed to be replaced. And y'all, that is where we all are as people, okay? We are born into this world with hearts that the Bible, God tells us are dead. That the heart is beyond repair. It doesn't just need a little religion to make it better. It needs to be replaced. We all need to have our hearts replaced. We all need a new heart. And that leads us to God's word this morning. I'm reading from Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 24. And God says to his people who are in exile, who, are, uh, who, who, have, who have disobeyed him and who are being uh, disciplined by the Lord, they have been taken out of their home and taken into foreign countries, okay? And he's writing to them, he's speaking to them through the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what God has to say to them after much, this is chapter 36. Much of the preceding part was a lot of warning and a lot of judgment. And in chapter 36, in verse 30, and verse 24, God says to his people, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is God's word. Amen? We need a new heart. God is not making bad people good. God is making dead people alive. And as we look through this scripture, we're going to go through and break down these verses quickly. And we're going to see the kind of heart that God gives us by the Holy Spirit. Okay, you want to know what kind of heart is it that God gives? We need a new heart. All right. But what is it like? What is this new heart like? And this, this scripture tells us what it's like. Verse 24, the Holy Spirit gives us a heart for unity. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for unity. An interesting place to start, but this is where the people were. God meets us where we are, right? And they're feeling abandoned. They're feeling left out. They're feeling alone. And the first thing God says to them is, I will take you from the nations where you've been exiled, and I will gather you together from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for unity. For unity. Naturally, what do we do? We distance ourselves from other people, right? We distance ourselves from people that we don't like. We distance ourselves from people who look different than we do. We distance ourselves from people who believe different than we do. We distance ourselves. We distance ourselves. And the Holy Spirit takes us from wherever we are in our racism, right? Or in our classism, or in our ageism, or whatever it is, however we've distanced ourselves, He takes us from that place and He gathers us together. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart for unity. That's why I changed that song earlier. Because, yes, I am a friend of God, but we are friends of God, right? And that is something we have to get out of our Western European mindset of the individualism of Christianity and realize that the Bible talks a lot more about us than it does I. It talks a lot more about we than me. And so God wants to gather us together into what? Into the gathering. Did you know the, the word for church literally means the gathered ones? And so God gathers us together. That's what church means. Ecclesia, look it up. It means the gathered ones. And so God gathers us from all over and he brings us into unity. And he gives us a heart for that. You know, sometimes church is about me right? It's about, I'm going here because I feel good about how this place makes me feel. I was talking with a mother on a field trip one time, and I'll never forget what she said. She was a, I was asking her about church, and she said, I like to go to church and get my word and then just go home. And I was like, I didn't say this because I didn't know her, <laughs> but I wish I had said, sister, that is not Christianity. Going to church, getting your word, and going home is not the church. God wants to take you from where you are and gather us together. That is the church. That is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for each other, a heart for unity. Secondly, the Holy Spirit gives us a heart for purity. Look at verse 25. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Some of it, 
Some of the uncleanness or what? Are y'all with me? All of it. All of the uncleanness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. See, God, the Holy Spirit, gives us a heart for purity. He wants us to be clean on the inside and on the outside. He wants us to be cleaned up. Because we come into this world with no capacity within ourselves to truly be good. Now, we can hit it occasionally. But God says that where you failed at one point in the moral law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And before God, we are unclean in our hearts. And if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we might look good on the outside, but what's going on in our hearts? What are the desires that are sinful in our hearts? And those things make us unclean. But the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart for purity. A heart that, that rejects the idols of this world of success and, and fame and money and power of comfort. We, we as believers are cleaned up from that. He says, I, I'm going I'm to clean you from all of the idols. I'm going to wash them out of your life. And you know what that means? It means sometimes you're going to be ticked off. It means sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable because the process of getting rid of an idol is painful. The process of getting rid of your dependence on money might mean that you go through some hard times where the money isn't there and God is teaching you money is a terrible God. Money is a terrible God. I am God alone. There is one God, right? Money's not a God, but, it, but we treat it like it is. And that can be a painful process. And I want you to see that this is the Holy Spirit giving us a heart for purity. This is not you deciding I need to be a better person. This is the Holy Spirit working that in you, washing you from the inside out. The Spirit baptizes you. Y'all know what baptism is, right? It's the washing away and the cleansing of your life. And so he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. That's why in our church, we sprinkle for baptism. We pour. Why? Because that's the image of the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, is a pouring out, a cleansing of that image. Does that make sense? And so, the, and, and by the way, the, the, the way we baptize is not the important thing, okay? Uh, because there are faithful churches that dunk too, and that's fine. What's, what's key is that the Holy, it represents what the Holy Spirit's doing inside. Not just the outside, but the inside. Okay, I just want to say that. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for purity. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for unity. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit gives us a heart for faith. Look at verse 26. This is really the crux of this passage. In verse 26, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. It's like when, that, when your sister was given a new heart. You know, the old heart that didn't work was taken out. It was removed. And the new heart that, that thank God, did work was placed in. Right? And that's what God does in our spirit. The Holy Spirit places a new spirit in you. A new heart. Those two words are synonyms. A heart and the, your, your human spirit and your human heart are synonyms in the Bible. Another word for that is your soul. Okay, those are all mean the same thing. It's the, the internal part of you, the inside of you, your heart, your spirit, your soul. 
And when God gives you a new heart, a new spirit, what that means is that He gives you a heart that can believe. A heart that can believe. A heart that can have faith. A heart that used to be against God and now suddenly, I want God. You know, you have a change of heart. You've experienced it, right? You've experienced that change of heart where, where, where I used to not care anything about God and now all of a sudden God gives me a new heart and I, and I want Him. I love Him now. I don't know what happened. You know, Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus one time. He was a religious leader. And, and Jesus was talking to him about, uh, about faith. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, do you remember what he said? You must be, right, born again. You must be born again. And what, what does that mean, to be born again? Nicodemus was like, does that mean i got to go back in my mother's womb? He was confused. You know, it was Mother's Day. He was not sure what to do with that. And Jesus said, no, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And do you know what Jesus was referring to? This prophecy, Ezekiel 36 born of the water and the Spirit, the cleansing water of the Spirit who gives you a new heart. He says you must be born again. And this is the work of God. There's a scripture in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that says um, that, it, that faith is the gift of God. Uh, you don't decide to just trust God. God gives you faith and then you decide to trust God. Jesus said um, love uh, love because I first loved you. Right? See, God is initial. He's the initiator in the relationship. He changes your heart. He gives you a heart for faith so that you can trust His promises, so that you can believe in Him, so that you can change. You must be born again. Have you ever heard the phrase, a born-again Christian? And what, is that, what do we think of that? We think of that as someone who really, really is on fire, you know, a born-again Christian. Or maybe in some other circles, you might hear it uh, said, a spirit-filled Christian. Or, or, or someone who's not a carnal Christian, which is another term that people throw around. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. And there is no such thing as a not born-again Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a born-again Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a spirit-filled Christian because it is the spirit that gives you a heart for faith. All right? So if you are a Christian, you are born again. If you are a Christian, you are filled with the Spirit. And that is good news. Now, your fellowship with the Spirit may not be too good, and that might need some work, right? And we're going we're gonna to talk about that now. Because the Holy Spirit not only gives us a heart for faith, a heart for purity, a heart for unity, but the Holy Spirit gives us a heart for obedience. A dirty word in our culture today, isn't it? Obedience. Uh, search the mom blogs and you'll see treatises of people telling mothers they shouldn't demand obedience from their children. It's a dirty word today. But look at verse 27. See what God says. God says, and I will put my spirit, in, in your Bible that's probably capitalized, right? Um, because it's God's spirit. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you, this is good news, y'all. 
If you feel stuck, God says to us right here, I will put my spirit in you. That's what it means to be spirit-filled, to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and every believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit causes you to walk. The Holy Spirit causes you to be careful to obey His rules. And does that happen immediately? No. It, it takes time. Did you know, and this is a great illustration too, I was reading, I was catching up on Christina's blog, um, the, the Caring Bridge, and, um, and I was reading about how hard of a process this has been for her. Because she got a new heart, but then she had to adjust to living with a new heart. And I thought, man, that is a perfect example of what we have to do as Christians, right? Because I promise you, Levi is a new Christian, right? Levi, the guy I was telling you about earlier, but I promise you, his marriage is not all a bed of roses right now, right? He didn't just snap his fingers and everything was better. But because he has a new heart, God is causing him to walk in his statutes and being careful to obey his way, which is the way of love, right? It is the way of self sacrifice and loving other people that God has placed in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart for obedience and causes us to walk in his ways. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for unity, a heart for purity, a heart for faith, a heart for obedience. And lastly, the Holy Spirit gives us a heart for God. And this is where it all comes back to in verse 28. Where God says, you shall dwell in the land. Remember, he's already, brought him into, he's already brought them back together. And he says, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the old refrain of the covenant promise of God. That God has covenanted with us that we will be his people and he will be our God. And that this is the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is, is indwelling us to give us communion with the living God. So that we are his people. Not just me, but me and you. Right? Together, we are His people. Together, we are the people of God. And we live together and we dwell together. And we're trying to plant this church with people from different cultures and backgrounds. And it's hard. And wow, what we say in the other I was telling somebody the other day, if it was easy, there would be more churches doing this. Trying to bring people together from different backgrounds. See, don't be frustrated. It's easy to get frustrated in the process, right? But God wants us to be unified together to struggle with that, to get used to the new heart that we have that calls us together, to get used to it. Christi uh, Christina has had how many surgeries since the original surgery? Like 14? Yeah, at least 14 additional surgeries. And right now her uh, kidneys, no, her liver, her kidneys are struggling. <laughs> Yeah, signs of life in her kid. Pray, pray for, yeah, pray for Christina. I mean, the doctors don't give it much hope for healing because they're doctors, they're realistic, they're science people. And that's good, right? I mean, they can do heart transplants. Praise God! But people of faith, 
many doctors have faith too. We should pray that God will, will heal her and, and heal her kidneys. And if, and, if, and if not, that there will be a transplant for that too. So pray for, keep praying for Christina, okay? Um, but what does it mean? It means that it's a struggle, right? You don't just get a new heart and you're suddenly perfect. In fact, you'll never be perfect in this life. You'll never be perfect in this life, but we grow closer to God. We grow with a heart toward God. And, and here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Christianity is not an individual religion. It is not just about you and Jesus. It is not just about you and the Holy Spirit. If your church is spending Sunday mornings at home with the Holy Spirit, that is not Christianity. It's the reason you might be wondering, why do we get together on Sunday? Is this just a tradition? No. What this is, is what God is doing. God's bringing us together. Because what does the Bible say? Where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst. And you say, well, I got my family. I got my wife. She's there. That's two. I got my kids. That's three or four. But that's missing the whole point. Focus on the more of that verse. Right? Focus on the more, not the two, but focus on the more Because what God does with us together is he gathers us as his people. And it is way more important, hear me say this, it's not just because I'm a preacher, but that I'm saying this, I hope you see it in the word, that we are his people, not his individuals, right? We're his people. It is way more important to be in worship on Sunday with the body, this body or some other body, wherever you're covenanted together, it's way more important to show up on Sunday morning and be with the body than it is for you to have your private devotional time during the week. And I know that might feel wrong to you, but I want you to consider that, that it is way more important for you to be here, to show up with the body, right? Because you're not just an isolated Christian with your Holy Spirit out there doing your thing. That is not God's vision for his people. That is not God's vision for us. His vision for us is that we're together. And I love what we did earlier when we prayed for each other. We need to think of ways to, you know, I've got a team now of you that are going to help us think through how can we be more body-like in our church, okay, in our service on Sunday. We come together. We gather together. So be encouraged by that. If you feel dry spiritually, the first thing you need to do is show up on Sunday and engage with what God is doing here. Now, should you read the word on your own? Yes. Should you pray privately? Absolutely. But it is secondary to being in church. It is secondary because God says, you will dwell together in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Plural. All right? So, believe it. Here's a couple of things for application. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for God. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart for unity, a heart for purity, a heart for faith, and a heart for obedience. Quick applications. The first one is is real simple. It's pray. (laughs) You ever hear a preacher say that? You should pray. But how many of us actually do it? You know, I keep a prayer journal and I'm always looking at the last date in my prayer journal going, oh, <laughs> it's just been a while. 
since I actually opened up my prayer journal and wrote in it, you know? Because the whole, I want you to look at this scripture. Uh, can, uh, can you pull up back when it was listing the whole scripture? I don't know how much of it you can see. But throughout this scripture, God says, I will, 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 eight times. In just these few verses, five verses, God says, I will, eight times. Now let's think about what that means. That means that you can't make yourself better. It means that God has to do it. Christina could not give herself a new heart. She needed a new heart from a donor. And it is hard to think about, but it is true that someone had to die for her to get a new heart. And that is true for us too, isn't it? Someone had to die for us to get a new heart. The Lord Jesus had to take on human flesh, live a righteous life, and offer it to us to be a replacement heart, a new heart. What we have is the heart of Jesus that's placed in us. And he's resurrecting you. (laughs) Amen? He's resurrecting you and me. But it took a sacrifice. And so we need to pray that God would give us a new heart. You know the story of King David and how King David in the Old Testament, hopefully you know this story, he, he blew it. I mean, he, was a, he got into some bad sin, like some of the worst. He took advantage of, of his, one of his friend's wives, probably forced her into that. Some people say it was an affair. It reads more like abuse. And uh, he covered it up by having her husband killed. King David, a man after God's own heart. (laughs) Really? You know why we can say King David, this evil man? Remember, God's not making bad people good, right? He's making dead people alive. And so when God confronted David through uh, Joel, yeah, who did he confront? Nathan, thank you. See, he's studying. <laughs> when, when, God confronted, when God confronted King David through Nathan, and David realized his sin, he wrote a psalm. And I want you to read it. It's Psalm 51. And part of Psalm 51, you know what David prays? Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. Why? Because David knew that he, <laughs> his heart was beyond repair and that he needed a replacement heart. And so that's what he prayed for. That's what we should pray for. Um, and, and we need to pray that God would renew our hearts and that he would help us learn how to live with this new heart. And, you know, look, if you know people who are really far from God, here's the beautiful thing. Pray for them. Because you can't convince them to trust God. They have to have a heart transplant. And only God, the Spirit, can do that. So if you know somebody who's away from God, please pray for them. And pray pray for them that God would do the work to give them a new heart. Pray. That's the first one. The second one is meditate. 
And what I mean by meditate is I want you to focus on your beliefs and not on your behaviors. Focus doesn't mean your behavior shouldn't change, but focus on your beliefs. Go back through this passage that we read today and think about all of the things that God has promised that He will do. That He will give you a heart for unity. Believe that. That He will give you a heart that will be cleansed for purity. Believe that. That He will give you a heart for faith. Believe that. That He will give you a heart for obedience. Believe that. And a heart for God and for His people. Believe that. Focus on belief, not behavior. Because the way behavior focuses on the outside. Belief is what changes you on the inside. And God wants to change us from the inside out. And we got to be changed from the end. You've heard of hypocrites, right? Hypocrites are only changed on the outside. They look like Christians, but they're not because they haven't been changed on the inside. You can, uh, you know, sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. We have to be changed from the inside out. So meditate. Focus on what God has promised. Believe his promises. That will change you from the inside out. All right? That's what meditation is. It's, it's meditating, focusing on the promises of God. That's meditating, Christian meditation. It's different than Eastern meditation, which is emptying your mind. Christian meditation is filling your mind with the promises of God. All right? And believing them. Last, fellowship. Because <laughs> that's all through this passage, isn't it? We've mentioned it several times. Fellowship. Engage with the body. Get involved in the church. Come, show up on Sunday morning. Not because it's a religious thing to do, but because this is where we are the people of God. This is where we get to really love one another and, and the springboard into the rest of the week. You know, this is like base camp for everything that God's called us to do in the rest of the week. And so be in church. Get involved in one another's lives. Send a text message. Uh, download the Faith Life app. <laughs> Hopefully that will help us with communication. And in that thing, you can text people or send messages to one another. How do we apply this? We pray, we meditate, and we fellowship. A couple of things that we can just focus on. God is not making bad people good. He's making dead people alive. God is not making bad people good. He's making dead people alive. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the, this, this, these precious promises of what you have said you will do. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to experience. Help us to, um, to, to work out what it means to have a new heart. To have the heart of Christ. To be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to, to have faith. And Lord, we pray for those right now who do not yet believe that you would give them a new heart. Lord, that you would cause them to be born again. Lord, that you would go out before the conversation. And you would ready boys and girls and men and women to believe in you. That you would do that work of life change, of heart change in so many people that, that we will interact with in our lives. God, you got to do that work, and we want to trust you with it. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we bless you, and we thank you for new life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.